This is the Special Needs Family Hour with Julie Ames. Brought to you by Special Needs Family Resources, LLC. For the next hour, we'll be discussing the particular challenges and real-life solutions for families with special needs. If you found us, please know that you are not alone. To find out more, go to specialneedsfamilyhour.com. Now, it's your host, Julie Ames, on AM860, The Answer. Thanks for listening today to the Special Needs Family Hour. I am Julie Ames on AM860, The Answer. Our show is dedicated to helping those parents and caregivers who are caring for special people. The theme of the show is the essay, Welcome to Holland by Emily Pearl Kingsley. Kingsley describes his experience of raising a child with a disability. Welcome to Holland. I am often asked to describe the experience of raising a child with a disability, to try to help people who have not shared that unique experience to understand it, to imagine how it would feel. It's like this. When you're going to have a baby, it's like planning a fabulous vacation trip to Italy. You buy a bunch of guidebooks and make your wonderful plans, the Colosseum, the Michelangelo David, the gondolas in Venice. You may learn some handy phrases in Italian. It's all very exciting. After months of eager anticipation, the day finally arrives. You pack your bags and off you go. Several hours later, the plane lands. The stewardess comes in and says, Welcome to Holland. Holland, you say? What do you mean, Holland? I signed up for Italy. I'm supposed to be in Italy. All my life, I've dreamed of going to Italy. But there's been a change in flight plans. They've landed in Holland, and there you must stay. The important thing is they haven't taken you to some horrible, disgusting, filthy place full of pestilence, famine, and disease. It's just a different place. So you must go out and buy a new guidebook, and you must learn a whole new language, and you will meet a whole new group of people you would never have met. It's just a different place. It's slower paced than Italy, less flashy than Italy. But after you've been there for a while, and you catch your breath, you look around, and you begin to notice that Holland has windmills, Holland has tulips, Holland even has Rembrandts. But everyone you know is busy coming and going from Italy, and they're all bragging about what a wonderful time they had there. And for the rest of your life, you will say, yes, that's where I was supposed to go. That's what I had planned. The pain of that will never go away, because the loss of that dream is a very significant loss. But if you spend your life mourning the fact that you didn't get to Italy, you may never be free to enjoy the very special, the very lovely things about Holland. And I say, hooray for Holland. My hope and prayer is that the challenges we all face in Holland will make us better people. This has been a good week in Holland. Our oldest two daughters, Maria and Christina, who are 20 and 18, are on the autism spectrum and have intellectual disabilities. Our youngest daughter, Anna, is a typical 15-year-old. Today, we are celebrating the one-year anniversary of the Special Needs Family Hour radio show. We started broadcasting the show on Mother's Day May 10th of last year. We have an exciting month planned. Our shows are going to cover everything you need to know to help your child from 22 years of age. So from zero to 22. Today, we have a great show. I will be telling my story. Then we will have representatives from the Early Childhood Council and Child Find to discuss helping your child five years old and younger. So please join us on the other side I'm Julie Ames, and you're listening to the Special Needs Family Hour on AM 860, The Answer. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. To reach Julie or any of the guests on today's show, call 813-816-2637. That's 813-816-2637. Or go to specialneedsfamilyhour.com. 
Bluebird.com. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Special Needs Family Hour with Julie Ames on AM860, The Answer. To contact Julie, go to SpecialNeedsFamilyHour.com. That's SpecialNeedsFamilyHour.com. Now, here's Julie Ames. This is a Special Needs Hour. I'm Julie Ames. Thank you for being here. And I am going to explain to you how my husband and I realized that we were in Holland and not Italy. My husband and I are both engineers. We met at Georgia Tech. He was getting his master's in operations research, and I was getting my bachelor's in industrial engineering. Operations research is a branch of industrial engineering. So we met in an operations research help lab. Anyway, we fell in love. We got married within a year, and we went on to have our professional careers. He was in the Army. I worked for the Navy for many years as a civilian, and then we started our family when we were in the 30s. Everything seemed perfect until my daughter was about five, going on six, and she had not grown. The pediatrician told me that our daughter had not grown for a whole year. Now, we knew that she was delayed and that her younger sister, that her younger sister was delayed. Our three girls are Maria, Christina, and Anna. So Maria and Christina were both delayed, and the pediatrician even made the comment of how well I was doing raising my special needs daughters and homeschooling them when I had a baby. And I thought that was so bizarre. What did he mean by special needs? So later I would find out what that meant. He referred us to an endocrinologist, but at first glance thought that our oldest, Maria, had Turner syndrome. At that point, we moved to Florida. We were up in Virginia, and we moved to Florida. And once we were down here, I had to find all new doctors. Well, we all went to see the geneticists, and we were all tested because... We had found that Maria had a genetic anomaly, and we needed to know if the other children had a genetic anomaly and where they got it from. Well, I was given the news in the form of a letter. I was sitting in my study on April 8, 2003, in my favorite chair from Ikea. (laughs) And I read the letter. It's in black and white. And in a way, my life as I knew it ended that day. The good news is that I was older. I wasn't the young Julie. The young Julie couldn't have handled what I was about to have to handle. So my letter in about four pages explained that Marie and Christina had a genetic anomaly. They have a chromosomal translocation. They have a deletion of the tip of chromosomal 3 with an addition of 5 to that tip. So they have a duplicate of chromosome 5. Anyway... More importantly, I realized that they got it from me, (laughs) which did not make me feel better. But somehow, there was such great relief in knowing that they both had a genetic anomaly. I finally had an answer. For months, I had been trying to teach them. I had been homeschooling them, trying to teach them basic concepts above, below, in front, behind. Where's the ball? Is it above my head? Where's the ball? Is it below my chair? Is it on my lap? And they couldn't get the concept. And I could not understand how, as an engineer, they could not get the concept. I couldn't understand how I couldn't get Maria and Christina to chew solid food. I mean, why wouldn't they chew it? And now I had an answer. So even though it was my fault, I actually had an answer. So there was relief there. And thankfully, I'm married to a wonderful man. Because guess what? (laughs) And all his logic 
which, yes, can be annoying sometimes, but in all his logic. He said, so we know more. Nothing's changed. (laughs) And yet a lot had changed. Well, unbeknownst to me, my life was going to get much darker and much harder. You see, that letter I received, the actual post date on that letter was a day I conceived child number four. That letter explained to me how my childbearing years were probably over. That if I went to have a child, I could have a normal child like Anna, or I could have children like Maria and Christina, or I could have what they called a Crudashaw baby. And Crudashaw means cats cry in French. The baby sounds like a cat crying. Well, unknown to me, I was pregnant. And lo and behold, I realized I was pregnant. And I wasn't ready to tell the whole world that my children had genetic anomaly and that they got it from me. I just wasn't ready to go there. I wanted my children to be treated like normal children. And I had enough to handle. So I told family and friends, you realize that Maria and Christina have special needs and two or three children are having challenges here. So the next one might. The doctors I talked to were wonderful. I said, well, expect a baby this Christmas, December 3rd. I even asked my pediatrician, I said, you know, um, I, I could have a Crudashaw baby. Do you know what they're like? And he explained to me, he says, well, I did work with one when I was um, interning, and the ears were a little bit lower, but he didn't tell me that they die. <laughs> I, I since found out that some do live to be older. Anyway, needless to say, at 16 weeks, I went to a doctor's appointment only to find that they couldn't get a heartbeat. The baby had died, and... When the sonogram technician, well, the doctor had discovered that there wasn't the heartbeat. When I went to the sonogram technician and she realized, she says, I am so sorry. I cried and I explained to her my genetic problem and said it was probably for the best. Oh, what to do? I asked her, I said, well, can I miscarry this at home? Do I, do I have to go in and have a DNC? And she said, the baby's too big. You do not want to miscarry this baby at home. So I had 48 hours to wait before I had my um, DNC at the hospital. It was all so sad. So after this point, I um, was debating whether I should um, ha- do, have a permanent, permanent birth control procedure. I am a Catholic. I'm a Catholic convert. And um, we believe in natural family planning. And because of this, I did not feel comfortable in having any procedure, because to me it seemed like a a mutilation of some type of what God had given me. So I went and I visited our priest. Fortunately, he was an older priest with much experience. He read the four pages of my genetic information, and he said, Julie, you've done enough. And he said it in his big, booming voice. He says, you've done enough. And he gave me the book, Why Do Bad Things Happen to Good People? And actually, I've read it three times. (laughs) But it was wonderful. Um, I I went ahead and got a tubal ligation. But before I could get my tubal ligation, I thought I was pregnant again. My hormones were all out of whack. And I usually know if I'm pregnant within about a week. And everything was just off the charts, and it was because of the miscarriage. So here I was. I thought I was expecting baby number five. Well, when I was expecting baby number four, I'm like, okay, I can deal with this. We'll have baby number four. I'm not going to get any of the testing done. But baby number five, I said to my husband, if this is baby number five, I've got to have it amniocentesis. I know that increases by just a slight chance, but I have to know what I'm dealing with. And all I could think of is I don't think I can raise another special needs baby. Of course, by this time I'm depressed. 
I'm thinking about the baby I lost. I find myself at night crying and saying, I would have loved you, and I would have cared for you, and I would have. Well, with the prospect of baby number five on the horizon, the prospect of the idea that I'd be pregnant, I thought to the morning after pill, and I can't believe this. I'm pro-life, and I'm actually thinking about the morning after pill. And then, in my mind, I go back to, oh, 15 years earlier, being at a sandwich shop over by USF, looking across the street at an abortion clinic and thinking how awful it was there, right there by the campus. And yet, this was the abortion clinic I was going to call to ask about the morning after pill. I talked to my husband about it, and um, he he couldn't see it. Um, he compared it to the young woman who had run over three or four children in the middle of the street at the time. Um, her name skips my mind. But bottom line was that it was a terrible situation, but a person has to face what that situation is at the time. And we would face this. And I was fine with that because, you know, why would I why would I call this number if I really wasn't pregnant? And if I was pregnant, then it would be abortion. So that was the dilemma. And I couldn't believe that here I was. And I will say this. I have had friends who have had abortions that were pregnant with special needs baby. And I, I don't worry about the child. I don't know why. I just know that the children are in heaven. I always worry about the women. That is where my concern is, is where are they and that they're whole. So anyway, at, in the meantime, I told my husband, I don't think I can keep this baby. We'll find out if it has problems. And there was a couple in Virginia that I wanted to call. They were a couple that we knew. They had married later in life, and they couldn't have children. And I remember I've only had child envy one time, maybe two. But I remember walking out of church on Easter with my three little girls, and they had their matching burgundy velvet dresses with a white crinolines. And this couple looked so dejected as they saw us walk by with our three girls because what they saw was a perfect family. And I thought about this couple. We had been in a marriage group with them. And I thought, we'll call them, and they'll adopt the baby. The good news is I wasn't pregnant. I had my tubal ligation. I actually hugged the nurse at the hospital when I found out I wasn't pregnant. She was completely dumbstruck. (laughs) And I was able to get my tubal ligation. So... During this time period, before I got it, I called a natural family planning doctor. A natural family planning doctor is um, an amazing person, a person that believes that all life is a gift from God. Um, A friend of mine who had a Down syndrome baby had a natural family planning doctor, and I asked her about it. I said, did you know you were going to have a Down syndrome child? And she said, no, we never did any testing. And she was my age, and nowadays at a certain age, you're immediately tested to find out what type of baby you're going to have. Well... She said when she had the baby, the doctor just said, oh, um, uh, there's a situation. Or he didn't even say situation. And it was just a positive thing. My friend said her husband was excited, and if they had a bunch more just like this one, it would be fine. So it was just a whole different way of looking at life. So here I found myself on the phone with a natural planning doctor because I wasn't sure that I actually wanted to legation. I wanted his opinion. And um, he... Um, he just explained that it was surgery, and he thought it was a bad idea. He mentions the ethics. He says, wow, this is an amazing ethical question. And, of course, I'm thinking this isn't ethics. It's my life. And I then talked to the natural family planning nurse, and she says the same thing. Wow, this is a great ethics question. Well, by this point, I'm crying. And I said, you, this is my life, and it's not an ethics class. She said, you'd be great for the pro-life movement. And I said, what? 
I'm going to create a support group for tubal ligation people. <laughs> anyway, that's where that concluded. All I can say is thank God for a wonderful priest. And I, I was able to go on with my life. And what happened with my husband and I and our children is I realized that, yes, I was mourning the loss of the children I had, but that I would have new dreams for my children. And my goal became to have them to have a contented life and to reach their full potential. To reach Julie or any of the guests on today's show, call 813-816-2637. That's 813-816-2637. Or go to specialneedsfamilyhour.com. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Special Needs Family Hour with Julie Ames on AM860, The Answer. To contact Julie, go to specialneedsfamilyhour.com. That's specialneedsfamilyhour.com. Now, here's Julie Ames. Now, something I left out in my story here is during the time period that I realized I was expecting number four, right about that time period, um, actually a little bit before, that was April 8th, I received the letter on April 8th, 2003. I actually had started Christina in speech classes, and she was not ready her speech classes. I was actually taking her to school and she would have speech three times a week. She hated her speech class and she started hyperventilating. I had never been around anyone who hyperventilates. You call it hyperventilation syndrome. A person experiences a great deal of anxiety. This can happen. It usually happens to adults. Maybe they have a car wreck and it's just too much for them or they're in a stressful situation. They start hyperventilating. Well, Christina started hyperventilating. I took her to see a neurologist the neurologist, when he saw her, he walked out into his lobby, he looked at her, he immediately thought she had Rett syndrome. But then when I explained that she already had a genetic anomaly, he said, well, she probably, she might not have it because it would be very rare to have it in the first place, but then to also have Rett syndrome and another genetic anomaly would be very rare. So what I, the only thing I knew about Rett syndrome at the time was that it was a debilitating nerve degenerative disease. So to me, that meant Christina was in the process of dying. So I'm expecting baby number four, and I think Christina is has this degenerative nerve degree because she just hyperventilates and she won't stop hyperventilating. Well, during this time period, I find myself pondering. I can remember actually cleaning my pool, pondering and crying. Where does the little girl go before she dies? You take her to the beach. To me, there are two places. A child needs to go to the beach. And the child needs to go to Disney World. <laughs> we didn't get her to the beach for another year. And when we did get her to the beach, she hated it. To this day, she hates sand. When I asked her what the best part of the beach was, she told me it was the chair. So, so much for planning for the future. When it came to Disney World, because of Christina, Maria and Christina are considered educationally, mentally handicapped, and they are, are autistic. Because of this, it took us years of going to Bush Garden to get them ready for Disney World. So, yes, I think all children should go to Disney World at some point in their life, but we were not ready for it for many years. So I've always found irony in the fact of, as a parent, you think this is what your child should do and every child should do, but it's not always the best thing for your child at that time. Now, during this whole time period, there's a tendency when you realize that your children are special needs that God isn't looking out for you or why has this happened? And there were many times that I realized that God was there, 
And I didn't realize God was there until after the fact. An example of this was our first Christmas in Tampa. It was Christmas 2002. We were in a new neighborhood. We just moved to Tampa, Florida. Actually, we were in Valrico. We had moved into a new neighborhood, and there was going to be the neighborhood cookie exchange. Well, believe it or not, I had never baked cookies. (laughs) So I baked cookies for the Christmas exchange. Well, when I baked my cookies, I did not decorate them, and my decorating icing had to be baked onto them. Well, I was having a very, very rough day. Maria and Christina were not potty trained. At this point, Maria is six and a half, and Christina is four and a half, and Anna has just turned two, December 12th. So here I am. I have three kids. No one's potty trained. Maria's in her room, and there's Maria, and there is a... um, Heard on the floor. Needs to say, I am very upset. I cannot understand why she can't go to the bathroom. So there's a huge mess for me to clean up. I'm dealing with that. Then I have these cookies that haven't turned out right. Well, you can only imagine. Jeff comes home. He's in his he's in his work boots, his jeans. He's all dirty and sweaty. And he looks and he says, "Do you have a can of whipped cream?" And I did. He decorated all my cookies for me. And I'm in the car, I put all the cookies in the van, and I'm in the van, and I'm crying. <laughs> he looks at me and says, you've got to go. You're gonna, he says, you're going to have a great time. You've got to go to that party. So I drive down the street, and I go to the party. Well, what I don't know is my neighbor is a behavior therapist, and not only has she invited people from the neighborhood, but she's invited a lot of her clients. And guess what? They have autistic children. Well, this is an amazing party. I meet this wonderful woman named Jean. And at this party, I meet amazing parents, and they're describing their children. By the time I leave this party and I go home to Jeffrey, I explain to him that I really don't have any problems. (laughs) But during this party, there's a cookie exchange. So all the cookies are put on this very large table. And I did not realize it, but there was a competition. And I, or I should say Jeff, won the most creative cookie award. And, of course, I wasn't going to tell them. I was already having a bad day that I didn't decorate my cookies. And this was the first time I'd ever baked cookies. Well, I get this box. I open it up, and it's three little girl angels around a snowball candle trying to stay warm. And I couldn't believe it. It was amazing. Well, I took that home to Jeff, and I gave him his award and explained that, no, I did not tell them that they were his cookies. And to this day, it's one of my most special Christmas decorations that I take out at Christmas time. Well, Jean would come into my life a little bit later. That spring, Maria and Christina, Christina started the speech classes, and then by spring time frame, about April, May, I had started them in school. So Maria was in a kindergarten class, which wasn't going well. It was going all right. I remember her teacher explaining to me that Maria did not recognize her name. I thought that was very bizarre because when Maria and Christina's name were on the refrigerator, Maria knew which one was her. But when it came to a whole classroom full of names, Maria couldn't pick her name out. I thought that was a bit odd. There was also another time where Maria just apparently panicked and started crying and ended up in the library during field day because she couldn't handle all the back and forth and the commotion because she's autistic, which I did not realize at the time. So that was her teacher at the time. Then we take the summer break, um, and then that fall, 
right before school starts, I, I've miscarried. I'm starting my individual education plan. And yes, we're going to have a show on that in probably about five or six weeks from now. But I go to my first individual education plan when I was expecting baby number four. And it was it was not a good experience because they wanted Christina in school and the school they wanted her to go to was way far away. So that was a whole situation there. And Maria was also in class. Well, we went to different schools and we looked at different schools. And the person that went with me was this woman, Jean, from Christmas. Jean and I had hit it off and I had they had called the area office for me to have a parent liaison work with me as I went to look at school. Apparently, a liaison is someone who works for the Ellsworth County School System who, who also has a special needs child themselves, and they help other parents with special needs children. And they are, I do plan to also have parent liaisons on the program. But she was able to help me greatly, and we went to different schools. But the God part is she just happened to be in the office when my name came in. And when she heard my name, she said, I'll take that one. So it was wonderful. I had a friend to go look at the schools with me. During this time period, Christina started stuttering. She was so stressed. She started saying like, ma, ma, da, da, because she was so stressed at going to these different schools. And the stress was such that my husband looked at me and he said, if we think this hyperventilation is something, wait until she starts stuttering. So the minute we told her she didn't have to go to school and she could stay home with her younger sister, Anna, it went away completely, never to come back again. In the meantime, that August, September, Maria wasn't doing so well in kindergarten, and she also had a wonderful teacher. This teacher was very afraid to tell me that Maria wasn't fitting in with her class. And she said she stayed up all night praying in order to tell me this. And she explained to me how in all her 35 years of teaching, this was the nicest class she had ever had. And I was very, very fortunate because usually children would not be this nice to someone like Maria. So I was able to accept that Maria needed to be in an educationally mentally handicapped program. And one of the schools we had toured with Christina is where we placed Maria. And the woman we placed Maria with is still one of the best teachers. She's also the teacher who, after she had Maria and Christina, she had Maria the first year, then the following year, she had Maria and Christina in her class. She actually told me, she said, you know, they're never going to read and they're going to be in a home. <laughs> Not what I wanted to hear. And I went home and told that to my husband. And she gave me a gift that day. I, I was able to worst case my situation. I thought, you know, if that's the worst case, I can live with it. But I'm going to prove her wrong. And guess what? It's taken a lot of work, but they do read. Maria reads at the kindergarten, first grade level. And Christina is at about the second grade level. So we have made progress. Um, they will probably, they will need help as far as living arrangements, but I didn't let it get me down. And my husband and I decided we'd just take one step at a time. And as long as they're excited about learning and they have never lost that enthusiasm. And here's the good news is our kids never stop learning. You're listening to the Special Needs Family Hour. I am Julie Ames. We will be right back. Missed any part of today's show? You can obtain the podcast on our website, specialneedsfamilyhour.com. Stay tuned. Welcome back to the Special Needs Family Hour with Julie Ames on AM860, The Answer. To contact Julie, go to specialneedsfamilyhour.com. That's specialneedsfamilyhour.com. Now, here's Julie Ames. Welcome back to the Special Needs Family Hour. 
with me, Julie Ames, at AM860, The Answer. In the studio today, we have Jennifer Broughton, the Program Manager of the Development Screening of the Early Childhood Council, and Dr. Emily Tamino, Coordinator of the Child Find Function of Florida Diagnostic and Learning Resources Systems. And they are going to tell you a little bit about what they do. So we're going to start with Jennifer and the Early Childhood Council. All right. Um, Well, my name is Jen Broughton, and I'm the program manager for the developmental screening. Um, And what the Early Childhood Council does is, um, well, we're the leading early childhood organization in the Tampa Bay area. We provide information and referral services for prevention and early intervention. Um, We also do training and advocacy to the community. And most importantly, we are funded um, by the Children's Board of Hillsborough County. Um, So that's us a little bit. And what's neat about the Early Childhood Council is they work in conjunction with ChildFind. And as a mom, I learned about ChildFind in Virginia when my daughter, Christina, was four years old and was not talking yet. So I have fond memories of ChildFind. And um, here is Dr. Emily Chimino to describe what they're doing. Hi again. Um, My name is Dr. Emily Chimino, and I'm with the Florida Diagnostic and Learning Resource Systems. We are a support to the School District of Hillsborough County and the Exceptional Student Education Department. I'm the coordinator of the ChildFind program, which is the function of fiddlers that assists parents and schools with the early identification of children, birth to age 21, who may be at risk for a disability. And we work in close partnership with the Early Childhood Council to screen and plan for children and what services they need from three to five specifically. Now, the Early Childhood Council and the Child Find can be found on my website, the Special Needs Family Hour website. We have a section all about development, and we have Child Find Hillsboro, and that's where you'll find the information that Jennifer will be discussing, and we have Early Childhood Council, I'm sorry, Early Childhood Council where Jennifer will be discussing, and Child Find that Dr. Emily Tomino will be discussing can be found there. And the Early Childhood Council has an awesome um, resource for families, you can actually go on there and they will give you milestones, activities, concerns that you may have about your child's development in a video. And I can't tell you how helpful those would have been to me who had never been around children. So it's an awesome website. Now explain how a family goes about getting in contact with you and who should contact you. Okay. Um, We do screenings for children birth to five um, and they can contact our phone number is 813-837- 7723, or you can go through our website, which you mentioned is on your website, um, but it is www.ecctampabay.org. And the first thing that we do is we complete what's called an ages and stages. It's an ASQ um, questionnaire, and you can find that online, or if you call the number, one of our intake coordinators will contact the parent back um, and complete one over the phone with them. So that's the first step is doing the ages and stages questionnaire to see um, engage where the child is at developmentally. Now, do grandparents sometimes call, or is it or do doctors call, or is it just? We have a variety of people that call. Um, doctors, grandparents. We have da- uh, daycare providers call. Um, anyone that's concerned about a child, and we will will screen. Like I said, anyone, any child from zero to five. Okay. And how about you, Doctor Chimino? How do you fit in with? Early Childhood Council? Well, um, the majority of the calls come into our the fiddlers and then are routed to their Early Childhood Council since we're housed together. Um, and once the intake is really completed and the ASQ is monitored, uh, Jennifer's um, coordinators take a look at that and kind of make a decision about what the next step is for the child. Um, the majority of our children um, that contact 
the ECC end up being scheduled and attend one of the early childhood council's developmental screenings. Now, that screening is um, a huge partnership in the community. Um, it is sponsored by the Children's Board and put on by the Early Childhood Council, in addition to the School District of Hillsborough County. Um, we have WIC is there providing us services, Prevent Blindness, Speech and Language Pathologists provided by the district. Um, we have social workers there provided by the district and many other community vendors that come and support this process. So it is really the community coming together to provide screenings for children. Okay, and I was looking at your calendar. You have two coming up, one on June 11th at Lake Carroll Baptist Church and one on July 9th at Our Lady of Guadalupe. So it looks like they're positioned all over the county. Yes, we um, actually just finished the calendar for next year, um, but we try to hit every point of Hillsborough County, and it's um, the eighth largest school Mm -hmm. district. So it's a very large district. So we try to get into South County, which is Waimama, which is where the screening is in July, um, all the way up to New Tampa area. Um, so we partner with churches, all different type, um, all different churches um, that house our screenings. So we go into the sc- uh, go into the church and kind of take it over for a morning, um, and we provide these screenings where we screen. Um, Height and weight, hearing and vision, cognitive development, speech and language, um, social emotional behavior. Um, So we screen the entire child. And if we see a concern with the child, then I have family support coordinators that follow up with the family to give them more resources and kind of help um, facilitate the process to child find. If the child shows a concern at screening in the cognitive, like in the overall area of overall development, they'll get a referral to Emily's program and get an evaluation through ChildFind. Okay, and then the evaluation at ChildFind, what age do those evaluations start? We um, are evaluating children three to five, um, the majority that come out of the Early Childhood Council, in addition to students who are transitioning out of the Early Steps program. Yes. So those are our birth to three babies that have been identified from birth um, for having a concern, and they get an automatic transition into um, the ChildFind program for evaluation. But the students who did not have the opportunity to go through early steps do go through the ECC and then get to child find for evaluation. Right. Early steps also comes to do our birth to three um, evaluations. They partner with us also at our screenings. So a child who shows a concern at the screening zero to three or zero, you know, before they're three, will go to the early steps program to get an evaluation. Okay, Mm -hmm. great. And guess what? Um, Next week, the following show will be early steps with Alex Molina. So she will be describing what they do for zero to three-year-old children. Um, Now, can anyone show up at these screenings, or do they need to have called before and made an appointment with you? We prefer that they make an appointment. We screen about 80 to 100 kids per screening. Wow. So we we do occasionally take walk-ins, but we would prefer uh, the parent to call the number I gave you, 813-837-7723, or go online. Great. Now, on ChildFind, is there any more that you can tell us about ChildFind? Well, the great part of being in partnership with Early Childhood Council is that, um, you know, as a result of us screening so many children, um, we do have a wait list that um, the family has to wait on. But if they come through screening, they are getting some support through um, the coordinators, the family support coordinators, to provide them some intervention ideas. Once the child is referred and taken by ChildFind, Um, They're assigned to different evaluation teams, which consists of speech pathologists, social workers, and school psychologists, who will then evaluate the child in all areas of development, 
to consider if they're a student who may need exceptional student education support. And what that looks like is very individualized per child. It could be um, a resource that the child needs, very low intensity intervention, all the way up to our highest level of support that children may, they may need for their few years before um, kindergarten starts. Wow, thank you. Right now we're going to continue our conversation on the other side. This is Julie Ames, the host of the Special Needs Family Hour here at AM 860, The Answer. Are you struggling with a special needs loved one in your life? Remember, you are not alone. Find out more at specialneedsfamilyhour.com. Our program will continue in just a moment. Welcome back to the Special Needs Family Hour with Julie Ames on AM860, The Answer. To contact Julie, go to specialneedsfamilyhour.com. That's specialneedsfamilyhour.com. Now, here's Julie Ames. Welcome back to the Special Needs Family Hour with me, Julie Ames at AM860, The Answer. I'm here today with Jennifer Broughton, the Program Manager of Developmental Screening of the Early Childhood Council, and Dr. Emily Chamino, Coordinator of the Child Find Function of Florida Diagnostic and Learning Resources Systems. On the break, I had to admit to Dr. Chamino that I had misspoken when I said I had fond memories of Child Find. <laughs> <laughs> I visited Child Find with Christina when she was four years old in Virginia. So it was a Virginia Child Find. And I will admit it was very, very stressful because they were evaluating my child and telling me what was wrong with her. And Christina was very upset that she wasn't in her normal environment and she was being evaluated. So she wasn't cooperating, especially on the hearing test. So she could communicate non-verbally, and there was so much more there than an evaluator realized. But it was extremely stressful. So, Dr. Chimino, how do you deal with that and help families through that? Well, Julie, you bring up a a very valid point of um, dealing with children who have a lot of stress and parents who have a lot of stress and anxiety about coming both to screening and eventually to evaluation if that's where their path takes them. Um, At screening, you know, we try to make it a very fun process for the child. Um, When families come in, they have the opportunity to sit with uh, parents as teachers, a a community-based program, and sit on the floor and do puzzles and read uh, books with them and enjoy while the parent can um, watch their child do that and see a model of how it is to interact. At every station, um, we are volunteers that we have working understand that we're dealing with a special population here. These are not going to be a typical child who may be able to sit there for 30 and 40 minutes. So we understand that we need to have a caring and loving hand on these children. We need to be patient. We need to wait the appropriate amount of time for responses. And, you know, if we can't get what we're looking for that day, that's okay. That in of itself says something um, to us and to the parent about what what, um, we might need to do for that particular child. And then, you know, if, if they do show a concern and they need the formal evaluation by Child Find in the school district, there again, we have lots of toys for them to see how they do with toys, um, how they interact with adults and with their family members. Um, and we can gather a lot from just how a child plays. Yes. Um, we can get a lot of good information. So when you come to Child Find or to our developmental screening process, we, we want you to understand we're looking at your child as a whole. Not just little pieces of what they can or can't do, but really putting together a puzzle piece to find out what's going on with the kiddo and what we can do 
to try to improve whatever skill level they're at so that they can be where they need to be by kindergarten, which is our ultimate goal. Yes. Well, my pediatrician was the one who had referred me, and I remember telling him how stressful it was. And he says, well, what's the goal? And the goal was to have speech classes for her, and we got the speech classes. In fact, we actually had a speech teacher coming to our home. Wonderful. So it, it worked out well, even though it was stressful, and we got the help we need. Definitely. So I am a big supporter of the whole process here. And Jennifer has a seminar that she wants to tell us about. Um, yeah, I would like to just uh, talk about our um, conference that we have every year. Um, this year, it's June 18th and 19th, um, and it's our early uh, childhood conference. Um, it's our 20th anniversary, so it's uh, kind of a big deal. Um, we've been doing this for 20 years. Um, it's at the Renaissance Tampa International Plaza Hotel, and we have two really great keynote speakers, um, Dr. Charles Zena and Tonir Kane. Um, and we actually have um, some, we have limited parent scholarships, but we do have some parent scholarships. So if anyone is interested in the conference um, as a, and wants maybe a parent scholarship, they can just give us a call um, at the number I had provided earlier. Um, wow. Now, did you say this was the 20th anniversary? Yes. Wow, so you've been doing this for 20 years. Yep. And Tanya King, or is it Tonier King? Tonier, yes. She has an interesting story. Yes, she has a she has a very interesting story. Um, and you can look her up on YouTube. There, um, she has a whole YouTube um a story. It's just her her personal story. She was in prison, um, and arrested uh, many many times. Um, her story is very powerful. So we're excited to have her this year. Wonderful, wonderful. Now, as far as different other things, is there anything else that you want to add? Um, I just want to continue to um, thank the Early Childhood Council and the Children's Board for their continued support um, in helping us to um, find and identify children who need early intervention services. Research has definitely shown that putting our greatest support in our little ones gives us the most benefit as a society. And we definitely, the school district could not do it without our great community partners. Um, and with Fiddlers, you know, we're here as a support to all of the school district. And if you ever have any needs for all the way from birth up to 21, you can always give us a call at 813-837-7777. And we will help you and point you in the right direction to navigate the school district. Yes. Did you want us to tell us a little bit more about Fiddlers? Sure. Fiddlers, like I said, is definitely a support to the Exceptional Student Education um, department of the school district. We provide um, services to teachers through our human resource division and provide all training and support to exceptional student education teachers. So they're really on the cutting edge of what we can do to help children in exceptional student education classrooms. We also provide the technology and resources for students with exceptional needs. Um, and finally, we have a group of um, young ladies um, the parent liaisons who are mothers of students with special needs who have been through this process and sat in that chair and have a real empathetic view of what it is to have a child with special needs and navigate the school district. We have one parent liaison per area who provides a lot of support to our babies, but does support families all the way up as they transition through those different grade levels. So there's a Fiddlers in every county, and we have the pleasure of only serving the school district of Hillsborough County, so we have a great relationship with the Hillsborough County Public Schools. Yes, and I'm planning to have the Parent Liaison Group on probably in the next month here. Oh, they're a great group. Yes, they are. Well, our next show will be Alex De Molina of Early Steps. And if you need to contact us, you can reach me at julie at specialneedsfamilyhour.com. Please like us on Facebook. Our page is the Special Needs Family Hour Facebook page. So please like that page. 
And if you need to reach Jennifer? Um, yep, you can call us at 813-837-7723. Um, and I also wanted to mention again the Right on Track um, developmental guide on our website. It's a great resource for um, all of the typical um, development of a child. So if you have any questions, you can look up the age of the child and see what they're supposed to be doing. Um, and that's on our website, which is connected to your website. Yes, you can find that on my resource page under development. You can find Jennifer's website and Dr. Chimino. Did you want to tell them how to contact you? You can go to the school district website and type in FDLRS. It will direct you to the Fiddler's web page, and there is a tab for Child Find. And our contact information is there. Again, we're at area code 813-837-7777. And this is Julie Ames signing off. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Special Needs Family Hour. If you've missed any part of today's program, you can get the podcast of this and every show at specialneedsfamilyhour.com. While there, please take advantage of the resources we've made available. And if you're so inclined, please support the advertisers that support this program. More than anything, just know that you are not alone. And we invite you to join us next Sunday at 1 for the Special Needs Family Hour, only on AM 860. The Answer.